You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. So today we discuss the culture of online learning, something that peaked during the pandemic, of course. But today we'll talk about the digital divide and what that means and eight different touch points, including ensuring instructor teaching presence, nurturing working relationships, and applying facilitator learning techniques. Also that effective communication and how this is all applying to online learning. On today's episode, we're discussing online learning trends, and joining us is National University's Sanford College of Education Associate Director, Dr. Linda Bloomberg. In this capacity, she coaches and evaluates online faculty, develops curriculum for graduate research courses, and serves as dissertation chair and subject matter expert for online doctoral candidates. Dr. Bloomberg also serves in an advisory and leadership capacity for the university's community engagement platform and was a founding member of the university's diversity committee and inclusive excellence council. She is the founder of Bloomberg Associates, the Institute for Learning Innovations and Adult Development and Advanced Learning Solutions, and a co-founder of Columbia University's Global Learning and Leadership Institute. Wow, that's impressive. And we welcome her to the podcast, Dr. Bloomberg. How are you? Thank you. Thanks so much, Kim, for introducing me. And I'm really happy to be here and to talk about something that I'm really passionate about, which is Wonderful. online learning and teaching. Yeah, and it sounds like you're passionate because of uh, your background. So why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Sure. Well, I came to be in my current position 10 years ago when I started with, which was then North Central University, in the same role as Associate Director of Faculty Support and Development. And I had come to that after teaching for a number of years in various different online programs. After completing my doctorate in organizational development and adult learning at Columbia University, which I had come to after being a stay at home mom for almost 20 years. So my previous master's degrees in psychology, actually, which I completed in South Africa, which is where I'm from, were in psychology. I then emigrated to this country um, after a few years, went in and did a third master's degree in adult education and then straight into my doctoral program. So I really do understand what it means to be an adult learner. Um, I come to this with a lot of personal and professional experience, which I think has helped me really understand the climate and the context of adult learning and online learning specifically as it currently exists today. Wonderful. Today we're talking about the future of online learning and the e-learning trends. And uh, so Dr. Bloomberg, how would you describe the current landscape of of e-learning, online learning? Well, as we all know, a lot changed in 2020. Um, before which there were some specific online learning institutions and universities of higher education that taught specifically online or in a hybrid version, some online and some on ground. But since the pandemic, so much changed in terms of context and online learning really has become very mainstream, as you know. Mm -hmm. Most universities now include an online learning component and they are, like National University, a lot of online 
um, universities that are dedicated to online teaching and learning. So, yeah, a lot has changed. And the learners themselves that have come to our programs have also changed significantly in demographics. I can imagine. And it seems like you were a little bit ahead of the curve of the pandemic, but I'm sure it's changed. So this is very interesting. Uh, Doctor, how would you describe the current online learner population and what specific needs is this population in need of? As I said a second ago, um, the online learner population and their demographics have changed significantly because a few years ago, if we think about it, many people that were doing online learning were doing so for purposes of convenience. It was something they could do in addition to their career, their job, their family commitments. But since the pandemic, because the field has opened up so much more broadly and widely, our online learner population is not just that student that came for matters of convenience, but so many students are now enrolled in online offerings. Um, And this really goes the whole gamut from students that have just left high school to much older students and older, the older population who now have come back to study because the convenience is there at their fingertips. So yeah, so much has changed. And this really changes the way that we teach as well, because understanding how adult learners learn mm-hmm. is key to successful online education. I love that. You know, you meet them where they're at, right? And and the gamut yeah. is so varied. Uh, What is unique about teaching online as opposed to traditional face-to-face teaching? Well, that's a huge one. And I've actually written a book called um, Designing and Delivering Effective Online Instruction, How to Engage Adult Learners, because teaching online is very, very different than teaching face-to-face. There's so many more things that the educator, the instructor has to take care of to keep our learners engaged because there is not that face-to-face or on-ground connection. So ways of engaging with our students multimodally through um, welcoming them, supporting them, giving them what they need, meeting their own unique learning needs become so much more highlighted in the online environment. And in fact, when I wrote this book, which I completed prior to the pandemic and took it to a couple of different publishers, I was told, well, online learning is just such a small part of, of learning out there. It's not really mainstream. And so I didn't get a lot of traction, but once the pandemic hit and I had the book completely written, it was snatched up by Teachers College Press of Columbia University and published and has been incredibly successful in providing educators with those skills and knowledge regarding how to effectively teach online. And as I say, engage with our student population, which is critical. That engagement piece is really critical. Boy, you really were ahead of the curveball. I hope you went back to that other publisher and said, listen, now I have the book. So there. Well, I had a couple of them approach me, but the book was already with the current publisher. And in fact, I also write an ongoing blog for Teachers College Press on different aspects related to online teaching and learning, which I've done now for three or so years and have published with them over 50 blog posts which are also used as resources for online educators. So with that being said, and this is kind of going off of our script here, um, do you have any specific blog posts that come to mind that um, have gained a lot of interest? I mean, sure, everything you're writing, of course, is is of interest, yeah. but anything that's coming up to the top of your head that where people are yes. like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, when I first started, I started with that transitional piece. How do we transition mm-hmm. from traditional teaching methods to online teaching methods? And there were a whole lot of different strategies that I discussed and people were interested in. But now a lot of people know what those strategies are. So I really have transitioned over the past year or so to writing a lot more about how to engage underrepresented groups of learners 
including first-generation college students, who really need that added support to be successful. So I'm writing a lot about that. I'm writing a lot about multimodal engagement strategies. In other words, not just thinking that you can engage somebody with a quick once-off solution, but they're having to be a really very thoughtfully um, thoughtful set of processes that are brought to the teaching, to the pedagogy, to really ensure that our students remain engaged and that that engagement is sustained. Um, it's not engagement is not just a once-off. You don't just work to engage someone once and then you're done with it. Engagement is ongoing, so that that student is really successful. I'm also very much interested um, in equitable student success. Mm. And I'm writing a lot about that. Um, I recently attended two courses through Harvard University that were really dedicated to ensuring equitable student success. Again, it goes back a lot to first-generation college students and how do we engage with that body of students to ensure that they are actually receiving the support that they need. So yeah, those are some of the topics that I'm really excited about and currently publishing, aside from the blogs, publishing a lot of articles on those topics um, and engaging in a lot of webinars and um, other podcasts on those topics as well. So, sorry, I need to stop yeah. now because this is something I'm very passionate about. No, I love it. And thank you for sharing all of that. And I think and what I really love, Doctor, is that it seems like you're in one direction and all of a sudden opens doors to other uh, new things that you're finding the, the engagement from. So yep. you're yep. really going along with the flow, um, but in a successful way, that's great. I do have another quick question for you, and that is... Um, because it's not face-to-face -face and it is that, that online platform, what kind of boundaries do you have to put around uh, maybe like uh, the teacher, professor, student, or the um, your meetings, you know, is that something, and especially because you're dealing with a lot of students that are first, you know, generation college goers, do they request meetings or what does that boundary look like to have the professor-student meetings with you? I think more than a boundary, it's an openness. An openness okay, to really one. being present for that student, for each individual student, hearing what each individual student needs and then meeting their needs accordingly. Some students prefer phone calls. Some students prefer Zoom. Mm. Some students prefer to meet in a group. Some students are afraid of reaching out. So the professor, the educator really has to be very finely attuned to what students out there are really needing, even if they're not specifically asking for it. One has to really be very intuitive in terms of if this student is not performing according to, you know, a level of success, what can I offer them to be successful? How can I meet their needs? And I think that openness, that presence, I write a lot about presence, which is one of the mm -hmm. key aspects of online learning and was written about in the 70s by a group of researchers. Presence, which involves physical presence, emotional um, and academic presence is really important on the part of the educator. Part of this is all about how to learn to teach online because it doesn't always come naturally to even the most veteran, experienced veteran teachers on needing some form of support to enhance their learning approach and their, sorry, their teaching approach. So yeah, there's a lot that is around, built into this context of, of ensuring that students are successful. And I think openness is a key. Openness also to learning. Right. Even those of us educators that are veteran and have been doing this for many years, I think need to be open to learning what is required for students to be successful. Student success is the bottom line. 
And I, that, great. I love that that research that has gone into that. And it almost sort of reminds me of when you have a new client and you say, what's the best, easiest way for me to communicate with you? Is it online? Is it through a text or a call? Yep. And sometimes, yeah, we all have that different modality. Um, so thank you for explaining that. What are the key skills needed to be an effective online instructor? Again, it's openness to learning. It's willingness to be flexible to meet the students' needs, to meet them where they are. And every student is unique, as we know. Every student has their own set of needs coming from their own context and their own learning experience. Um, and then a willingness to really adapt to the environment and enhance one's skills. So as I said, it doesn't always come naturally. And so accessing resources, accessing materials that talk about how to teach online, how to effectively teach online, if the instructor is open to learn about the new strategies, what works, what doesn't work, what is a red flag, what is something that you can really do to improve your student's learning experience, I think that's critical. Great. Well, this is such great information and so relevant. So right now we need to take a quick break. More in just a moment. Don't go away. We will be right And now a National University tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree that you know you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is, I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you want to do. It helps you figure out what you want to do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and, and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen. Now back to our interview with Dr. Linda Bloomberg, and we're discussing the online learning and e-learning trends. Dr. Bloomberg, congratulations on writing your new book. And tell me a little bit about that process, because you did mention that you wrote it ahead of the pandemic. So who knew what this online learning has done? Tell me a little bit about this whole experience. Yeah, as I said, I'm really thrilled with the way this book has been received internationally. Um, especially since the pandemic did bring about something, a new world that we couldn't have predicted and something that I couldn't have even predicted, even having written about online learning techniques prior to the pandemic was the sheer enormity mm. of the shift that took place in education, particularly in higher education, even in K through 12, as we know, students had to start learning online. But talking about higher education, um, what the pandemic really highlighted was what is called the digital divide. That is the, the access that the haves and the have-nots have um, or don't have. And I think that that digital divide really comes to the fore when we think of underserved or minority populations that have not had the advantages that more privileged populations have had in the past. And so even access to computers, access to 
um, internet, access to Wi-Fi. The, the pandemic highlighted that divide so abruptly and so intensely that we have really had to shift in our way that we teach and engage and care for our students because we cannot assume that all students have the same access. You know, and this kind of really leads into, and that's something actually, first of all, people don't always think about that as we shift through all kinds of changes, you know, who has that availability or access to, just like you said. So it's, it's, I love what you've done and I wish you the best of luck with the sales of your book. Um, what you just answered may kind of go into this next question, and that is how would one evaluate or assess that quality of online teaching and what are the factors one would look for in making a determination of that quality of teaching? Okay, um, I'm really glad you asked me that question because here I'm really going to refer directly to part of my book. In fact, this is woven throughout the entire book, how to engage adult learners and how to evaluate whether a teaching experience or a learning experience is in fact successful and to what extent it can be improved on. So in my book, I actually have um, discussed what I call eight different touch points, which an educator, if they take care of all eight or as many of the eight as possible, have a much better um, chance of being successful in their teaching. The one is, and I go back to what I said earlier about ensuring teaching presence. Are you as an instructor present for your students? Are you there? Are you taking note? Are you cognizant of what they need? Are you really addressing their needs in an authentic manner or are you just providing lip service? Mm -hmm. In other words, are you really there? Are you present? The second is nurturing working relationships. All students, and this doesn't go just for online environments, all students want to develop a good workable relationship with the person that's teaching them. And so developing these good working relationships is critical to student success. That's the second point. Mm -hmm. um, the third is applying effective facilitation techniques. As is often written in the adult learning literature, the instructor is a facilitator of learning. The instructor is not someone who pours learning into the learner's heads as was done in many years ago. Um, but Malcolm Knowles, one of the four, four the writers in the beginning of um, adult learning theory, and then Jack Mesereau, who developed transformative learning theory, who actually taught me in my own doctoral program because he developed that particular program at Columbia, um, they spoke about this instructor as being a facilitator of learning, really creating an environment that is conducive to learning. So that's the third point. Are we applying effective facilitation techniques? And that brings into discussion all of the different things you can do to make the learning experience successful. Are you welcoming the student? Are you there as an effective present instructor? Are you listening to the student's needs? Are you communicating effectively? Are you hearing what the student is asking you for? And finally, are you providing what that student is actually asking you for? So the three that I've mentioned so far are ensuring teaching presence, two is nurturing working relationships, three is applying effective facilitation practices, the fourth one is creating a sense of community. Learners, even in the online learning population, want to feel part of something greater than themselves. Mm. Nobody really learns as an individual. Learning is a social phenomenon. Learning happens in the context of community. And even informal learning, where people are just meeting to discuss, meeting to have dialogue, that requires community. So the instructor really has to be a facilitator of community as well. And that's the fourth part that I talk about. Remember, all of these are in um, response to your question about what makes for a good learning experience. Mm -hmm. 
The fifth one is addressing diversity and inclusivity. And as I said, this has become even more pronounced since the pandemic. Are we being inclusive of all learners? Are we being cognizant of all learners' access to the learning experience and the learning materials? Do students have what they need to be successful or are they being kept out of um, the context because of their limitations in their circumstances um, or whatever? Even in terms of their um, openness to learning, we know that many learners have a fixed mindset where they don't believe that they can be successful. As an educator, we really have a task to develop an open and growth mindset in our learners, which Carol Dweck writes about extensively. And as educators, we need to have that open and growth mindset ourselves to actually accept that our learners can succeed and not have any fixed preconceptions about why a particular learner or group of learners will not succeed. So this all goes into addressing diversity and inclusivity and access. I'd add access to that as well. Um, the sixth point or the sixth criterion is embracing learner autonomy and empowerment. And this goes back to adult learning principles where um, both Malcolm Knowles, Jack Mesero, Stephen Brookville, Paolo Freire even write about giving learners the autonomy to be in charge of their own learning experiences. Remember, this is what adults want. Children, on the other hand, may be okay with, because of their stage of life, being told by their teacher what they should be doing. But mm -hmm. adults want a sense of autonomy. They want to feel empowered. And empowerment is really very much part of what I write about today as well. It's that engagement that goes along with learner empowerment. So learner empowerment and learner engagement are really two sides of the same coin in, in, my, in my view of adult learning and successful learning experiences. The seventh um, criterion is supporting learners' use of technology. This is obvious in the online learning environment where learners may not always be tech savvy. Um, very often the younger generation, Gen Z, Gen X, have grown up with technology, but some of our more um, mature learners have not. And so they may have to learn about the technology, even learning how to use a computer, learning how to develop Word documents, PowerPoints. And so we really have to be cognizant of providing learners with that technical support and access to technical support if we are not able to do that ourselves. So most universities, including National University, have a service desk, a help desk that will gladly support all learners with any technological questions that they have. And, and learners really today do need to have that technological support to be successful and to access what's needed at any particular point in time in their studies. And then finally, I talk about establishing and maintaining a culture of trust and transparency. And that, again, goes back to what can the educator do to ensure an equitable, successful student experience? And it really is about that trust and transparency and creating a culture around that. Do our students trust us to entrust us with their education? How are we going to um, rise to the occasion? How are we going to deliver? How are we going to ensure that each and every student that comes through our doors, even if it's a virtual door, are going to be successful in the course or the program of their choice. And so all of those eight criteria together, I think, make for a successful online learning experience. And each of those can be evaluated or assessed individually or in combination. And I talk about that a lot in my book, you know, how to evaluate whether a learning experience is, in fact, effective or successful. I always go back to those eight criteria, and I've tried to rack my brains about what there could be maybe a ninth or a tenth one, and I'm always open to suggestions. So if either of you think about what, or any of the listeners think about what could be some other key factors that I've overlooked, please let me know because this model is flexible and 
and practical. And I want it to be as useful as possible in as many situations as possible. I, you know what I love about this too, and again, the fact that you wrote all of this before the pandemic, um, when when online learning really just blossomed and and everybody was online learning, but is the fact that you really go over everything um, for the students. So establishing that culture of trust and transparency, but you're really um, making sure you're fine tuning everything and making sure your students are not only just happy, but very successful in that online learning. So you're making sure to yeah. go back. Whereas maybe before mm-hmm. when it was face-to-face, maybe, I mean, you care about your students, but maybe you didn't go over it with a fine-tooth comb like you are now, it right, seems. Right. I, yeah, I think that the, the way things have exploded in the online learning environment over the past few years have really made it um, an imperative yes. that educators are not just satisfied that a student survives, but that a student thrives. And yeah. that really is my 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 mindset. I want each and every student that I teach to thrive and to really achieve their own learning goals so that they can make changes in their lives and ultimately right. in the lives of their com- communities. Because learning is not just for learning's sake. Learning is to make change, productive and proactive change. And mm-hmm. so if each of our students can come away from their experience, from their learning experience, with the knowledge and the, and the um optimism and the confidence that yes I can do it yes I can make changes in my life and hopefully these will even impact my family and or my community then I feel that my work is done perfect I love that um I'm happy we'll get your book (laughs) so uh the next question is what are the current hot topics that you are noticing in discussions around the evolution of online learning and teaching um I think this goes back again to equity access equitable student success, what first-generation students want and need, because this is becoming really very clear that so many of our students in higher education are first-generation college students who previously or whose parents and grandparents may never have had the opportunity to study the way this generation has. But it comes at a price because they don't have the support very often behind them and so extra support, extra care, extra listening, and real authentic education is essential. And I think these are the topics that I'm seeing more and more written about, especially, you know, around equitable, ensuring equitable student success. Like, how do we ensure that every student is successful? And that really starts with a clear definition of success. That's another whole story that I could do another entire podcast on. <laughs> how do we define student success? And more than that, equitable student success. Okay, great. And what? Why are these important? Uh, why are these important topics to ad- to address? So I know you've been talking about this, and you just mentioned especially with the diversity and, and inclusivity and, and access. But uh, is there are, are there any more reasons why they're important topics to address? I think it's important because, if anything, um, and maybe you you see this too. The pandemic taught us that we're all humans and all vulnerable. Mm. And I think that um, it becomes even more important nowadays to really um, see each student as an individual um, and really take care of each and every student's needs. Mm. Um, Students are human. Instructors are also human. Um, Instructors also make mistakes. And it's also important to be vulnerable and let your students know when you don't know something. And then to make a plan to actually find it out so that you can provide the student with support that's being asked for. But I think, yes, I think the fact that we are all vulnerable human beings has made this whole endeavor that much more critical. Mm. 
That's great. Is there anything that you also want to add before we wrap up today? This has been such great information. Yeah, it's been really great to talk to you. Um, do you have anything that is um, that you see from what I've said that you want to delve into a little bit more or expand on? Um, because I can talk about this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what I was going to say is that I love your passion. And uh, right off the bat, I realized, oh, I'm dealing with a perfectionist here because you care so much and you want to make sure everything is, you know, dotted I's, cross T's. Um, yeah, and I will not stop until I know that every one of my students has been taken I, care of. I literally that. will I'm... not stop. I mean, I will provide students and, provi- and provide them with resources to be successful. That is what I really feel most um most comfortable doing i work a lot with faculty as well in my current role i train faculty and coach faculty to teach online and that is why i have a lot of expertise and knowledge on that level but my ultimate goal is student success because why are we coaching and teach and training faculty so that they can provide the best learning experience for their learners and so student success, learner success is the final end goal, the outcome of all of this work. And I really consider this work very important because, as I said previously, we can and do change lives. And we want to be able to have an impact on lives in a positive and um, profound way so that people can move on from their education and really use the knowledge and skills that they've gained. It's, it's no longer as it was in the past about, as I said, pouring knowledge into students' heads. Our students are our partners in education and we are learning along with them. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you for everything you do and your passion. And um, we'll all have to go out and get that book. But thank you very much for your time today, doctor. And if you really want more information and want to visit National University's website, it is nu.edu. And thank you so much for your time. We look forward to your next visit. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.